Isn't it wonderful knowing that? That changes everything as we look at the world. So appreciate each of you being with us today. We have some guests. We're thankful you can come and be with us today as we spend a little bit of time in God's Word and try to encourage and teach and remind us that there is a Savior, and I know that He lives. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin in just a moment in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. We'll take a few uh, other places first before we get there, but we are glad to have each of you with us. It's a beautiful fall morning, and we're glad to have each of you with us today. As we come to look at some things from God's Word. You know, we sang, God is so good. And that is true. And sometimes in our lives, it may be difficult to see that. And sometimes the way life can be, we may wonder that. But through the power of the Scriptures, we know that is true. And we're thankful for such things as that. What's well, a common thing that happens every semester, particularly at the start of a college year. Young high school graduate goes off to college for the first time, and she gets her little dorm room all fixed up. She has all the little curtains and the bedspread matching. She has all her Sharpies and all her folders, and she has her microwave and her coffee machine and her little dorm fridge, and she's all set for college. She goes around and finds in this big university where all her classes are going to be. She finds local places to eat. She gets a little banking account at the local bank there. She's all set for college. Her very first class, she sits there and she looks around to see if she knows anybody. And then by the end of the first day, she has written and written and written so many notes, her hand is tired. She has to read chapter upon chapter upon chapter. And the second day is just like that. By the end of the first week, she's written two papers, taken three quizzes, and has a major test coming up. She calls mom in tears, and she says, Mom, college isn't fun. All I do is go to class and study. Hoping for a sympathetic ear, her mom says, Well, honey, what did you expect? It's college. Expectations. This is part of life. A family decides that they want to go to Disney for the first time. They hear the wonderful stories, and they see pictures on Facebook, and, and, and the sun is always shining. Everybody's smiling at Disney. And so they go there, but no one tells them you have to wait an hour and a half in 150-degree weather with high humidity to ride a ride the last three minutes. No one tells you it rains every day in Orlando. And no one tells you about those prices. The expectations sometimes simply don't match reality. Paul Tripp said this in his book about marriage. He says, I am persuaded that's more regular than irregular for couples to get married with unrealistic expectations. He believes he's marrying Wonder Woman. She believes she's marrying Superman. And what they have is each other. And the grind of going to work every day and bills and something always needs to be fixed in the house and one day, the expectations and reality simply don't match. And when they don't match, there's always a great disappointment. And we see that in scriptures. We remember in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, Naaman, the great warrior, the hero, a big soldier of the Syrian army. And he had leprosy. And a girl that had been captured from Israel tells his wife that there's a prophet in Israel 
that can cure him of his leprosy. Leprosy was not a cold. You got leprosy, you're probably going to die. And so he goes to see this prophet. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11, Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me. And he didn't. He sent a servant. And I thought he'd surely wave his hands over me. And he didn't. He told him to go down to the river Jordan and dip seven times. He went away furious. Eventually he came to his mind and came back and did those things and, and was restored of his health. We remember in Luke chapter 12, when Jesus was teaching, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance. What he was expecting Jesus to do is say, Well, bring your brother over here, and son, you need to be fair to this guy. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus used that occasion to talk to this man about greed and about what really matters in life. And so we have been doing a series here for the past several times I've preached here about can I know? And we began by talking about the most important subject, can I know that I'm saved? And then we talked about can I know what is right? Last Sunday evening we talked about can I know how to worship God? And I want to wrap this little series up this morning by talking about can I know what to expect? And there's lots of things in life that we can kind of, kind of park a car on there and kind of think about such things. I mean, if some of you in the congregation get a certain age and your doctor says, you know, it's time to think about knee replacement, you're going to ask somebody who's already had a knee replacement. And you're going to say, what can I expect? You're going to do that. Chick-fil-A came out with a brand new sandwich. My daughter was the first one to try it. What was it like? Then my wife tried it. What was it like? And then I finally tried it. Why do we do that? Because there's an expectation. Is it what you thought it was going to be? And so this morning, we want to look at what I believe is four pivotal ideas about what you can expect. We begin, first of all, with the Bible itself. What can I expect when I open the Bible? And this is something that's just so important for us to understand and appreciate as we think about what the Bible says and what God says. And for some people, it's disappointing. It's not the way I thought it was going to be because it won't read like a thrilling novel. I mean, I can sit down and read Tom Clancy, and I can't put the book down. But when I'm into Leviticus, I can't get the book opened because it doesn't read that way. It doesn't read like a chicken soup for the soul. It's not a devotional. It's not intended to bring a tear to your eye. God doesn't detail how he did things. Just how did you part the Red Sea? I'd like to know that. He doesn't tell you. He just does those things. It won't answer every single question you have in life. But when you open your Bible, what you will learn is I can see the will of God. Let's begin in the book of 1 Corinthians. Then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the apostle says, for who among men know the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? And what he's saying right there is, I don't know what you're thinking, and you don't know what I'm thinking. I can look at you, and you're staring at me, and I can think, man, they are into this sermon. Man, I got them. And you might be thinking about, when is he ever going to get done? You see, nobody knows your thoughts but you. And so what he says here. Even the, so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. What does God think? What does God like? You can spend the rest of your life guessing. I think God really likes Big Ten. Well, 
dream on. Because it's not in the Bible. I think God likes this, or I think God likes this. So Paul says in verse 12, Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, because that spirit is what reveals what God knows. So we receive the spirit who's from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What Paul says is what we got is God's mind. We got God's will. When I open my Bible, it is God talking to you. That's what the Bible is. And so when I read this, what's God like? This is going to tell me. What does God want? This will tell me. What does God not like? This will tell me. I don't have to spend the rest of my life guessing because the Spirit of God has been given to us. Now, Ephesians, if you will, Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, beginning in verse 3, he says, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And that referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in the other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The coming of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, all this Jesus stuff, all this mystery, what's this all about? Paul said, when, I, when you read what I wrote, you got it. You understand. And so what can I expect when I open the Bible? I expect to understand God. I can expect what, understand what God wants me to know. And what that God does in the Bible is God uses the same tools of communication that you and I do. Now, if I was to ask Donna Cook back here how to make a chicken pot pie, first thing Donna would say, well, Roger, why would you want to do that? You'll burn your house down, number one. But she'll say, here's how you do it. And then she might say, Roger, come over, and I will show you how to do this. If I was asked Gary Carroll, Gary Carroll, I want to hang some cabinets in, the, in my garage. How do I hang cabinets on the wall? Gary may say, well, Roger, here's how you do it. And then he might say, come over, and I will show you how to do it. And I want you to understand that is the exact form of communication that God uses. He tells us. He tells us through commands, through statements. Through words. How am I supposed to be righteous? God tells us. And then God shows us through examples. All through our Bible, we have examples, good examples and bad examples. We have Cain and Abel. One was right, one was wrong. We have all those. But based upon that information, then we gather that information and we draw conclusions. Conclusions based upon that information. And we gather that information because of what God has said and what God has shown us. You got a little bitty baby and that baby cries. Is he hungry? Is he just happy, making a happy noise? How's a mama going to know? She knows because she's gathered the information and she made a conclusion. You can look at a spreadsheet. You can look at multiple things in life that we do. Your dog's not feeling well. Prescriptions, interest rates, all of those are based upon what somebody has said, what somebody has told, shown you, and then the conclusions you draw. That's how the Bible is written to us. And so the Bible begins... And the Bible ends with the authority of God. In the beginning, God. It ends in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. Don't add to this. Don't take away from this. 
Why? Because this is God's word. This is God's book. And so from this, when I open my Bible, the intention of the Bible is to introduce you to Jesus. And from that, to know Jesus and to be saved from your sins. In the book of John, chapter 20, that chapter ends this way. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. So when I open my Bible, what should I expect? Should I expect a funny story I can tell somebody at work? No, it's not going to happen. Should I expect some story that just going to answer all the, all the problems in the world? No, it's not going to tell me that. It's going to tell me who's going to end this battle that just started in Israel. It's not going to tell me that. But what it's going to tell me about is the God of heaven, who thinks so much of you, they sent this book so you can know him and know his son, and from that you can be saved from your sins. That's what you can expect. Number two. What can I expect when I go to church? Of course, I use that word as society uses it, and we're going to talk about that word. But the very word church brings a thousand different ideas to people's mind. Some people, when they hear church, the first thing that comes to their mind is long, boring sermons. Other people think church is a place to straighten out the teens. Some people think it's a place to solve my problems. Some people see it's the last resort you go to when you run out of options. Some people think it's just a place where good people go on Sundays. But what can I expect when I go to church? First of all, understand the word church refers to saved people. People are called out of darkness. People, as the point before, have read that Bible, believed in Jesus, and been obedient to Jesus, and been saved from their sins. That's the concept of the church. It's not a building. And how often we kind of forget that. We get somebody visiting us, and we drive up and down and says, well, that's my church. You're referring to the building. That's my church building. That's where my church meets. But you are the church. You are the people. And that's that concept. And so Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11, multiple times in chapter 11, he says this. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat. He would say in verse 18, when you come together as a church. Coming together to worship God. That's the concept. We understand and appreciate that the church belongs to Jesus. It was Jesus who died for it, Jesus who established it, and this is what it's all about. So when I come to church, what can I expect? Number one, I expect the Bible to be taught completely and accurately. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But there seems to be a time where that's not being done. It's real easy to just pick out interesting topics. And avoid the hard things. Sometimes people don't want to hear the whole truth, so they avoid the whole truth. Paul told Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Just because you put a verse behind an idea doesn't mean that's right. You can take a verse out and make it say all kinds of things. Love the story of a guy who, who just closed the Bible and says, well, I'm just going to randomly open the Bible, and whatever it says, I'm going to do. And he opened the Bible up and read where Judas went out and hung himself. So that's not going to work. So he closed it. He opened it again. He talked about Jezebel being thrown out the window. He said, well, this is pitiful. That's not going to work. He opened it up again. And see, you can't do that. You can't just pull a statement out of the sky and say, here's what I'm going to do. 
Why did God say it? And to whom did he say it? And what's the background? The young man Timothy was told to preach the word. Preach the word. We don't preach politics. We don't preach agendas. We don't preach ourselves. We preach the word of God. And so when I go to church, I expect the Bible to be used. Some of you who have been visiting with us, some of you who have come to us from other places, one of the shocking things you've said to us is we hear more Bible in one service here than we've heard at a month where we used to go. Shame on those other places. Because we need to be preaching the Bible. Why? Because it is God's will. And so when I go, I expect the Bible to be taught. Taught accurately and taught completely. Not only that, but I expect to be welcomed and loved. Every one of us has a past. Every one of us has a history. Every one of us has a story. And sometimes a person may feel like, well, if you knew me, you wouldn't welcome me. If you knew my past, and God knows your past, and God welcomes you, and we welcome you. And we need to see that this is something that should be expected. Again, that behooves us as a congregation to be that way. How easy when services end just to migrate to the people we know and our friends and talk to them only. But we need to reach out to all people, those who are visiting with us, those who are looking and searching for things, to realize that all of us started at the same place, and we all want to come to God. And then we expect God to be honored. First of all, by the way we worship him. We have to worship him his way. We have to follow his divine word. We have to humble ourselves. We praise and seek him as God wants us to. We do this by following the divine will of God. What can I expect when I go to church? These are things I ought to expect. And when they're not there, I need to be asking, how come? How many times have we heard this horror story? That I visited someplace and no one spoke to me. Shame on us if that ever happens to us. I went to some place, and they just looked at me and then looked away. Shame on us if we ever do that. Again, the idea is we are the people of God. We need to be like Jesus. We need to welcome all people, be it Pharisees, be it Samaritans, be it lepers, be it us. All people should be welcomed to come to worship God. Number three, what can I expect when I come to God himself? What can I expect when I come to God? And, of course, some people have in their mind that God's going to fix every problem I have. You know, it's kind of like the child. I'm going to make the mess, and Mama's going to clean it up. So I make a mess in my life, and God's going to come around and clean it up. Clean up my mess, God. And he will do wonders, but he won't do it all for you. Some expect God to make them happy. And they look at their life and say, you know what? I'm really not happy right now. Things aren't going well in my life, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to just... Put some distance between me and God, because if God was God, if God really liked me, he'd make me happy. And the thing is, you won't find that phrase in your Bible. What you're going to find is, be holy as he is holy, 1 Peter chapter 1. And then some expect God to come running whenever I call him. Kind of like my spare tire in my trunk. You know, I don't even look at it. I know it's there. And I never need it until I have a flat tire. And once my tires change, I throw that spare back in there and go on my way and forget about it. I only need God when I have a need. And that's kind of a one-sided relationship. And so what can I expect when I come to God? Number one, you're going to find out that God's already been there. God's ahead of you. Jonah thought he could run away from God, but he was wrong. 
Adam thought he could hide from God, and he was wrong. And you find that God has been looking for you for a long, long time. Before that prodigal ever came to the house, the father saw him and ran to him. And so a passage like Hebrews 13, for he himself says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. It may be a long time since you actually prayed your heart to God. And I'm not saying those simple little prayers, thank you for my food today, thank you for today. I'm saying a heartfelt, just pour everything out to God. And you're going to find out that he's there, and he's been looking for you. Secondly, God is willing to forgive you. That's what you can expect. God is there to forgive you. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some men count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God wants everybody saved. When you read the book of Matthew, chapter 25, you read what Jesus said about the devil and how he made hell. Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. People are not supposed to be in hell. John 14 says, I go and prepare a place for you. That's heaven. We're supposed to be in heaven. That's what God's design is. God wants to save you. And we need to see he shows you how to do that. And then God is willing to give you a second chance. Even though we don't deserve it, God's willing to do that. And God will provide a way of escape from temptation. He says that in the book of Corinthians. He says, 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. Who provides that door out? God does. God does. If you have a heart to want to do what's right, God's going to open doors for you. If you have a heart that seeks, Lord, I want to be righteous, God's going to help you. He's going to put people in your life to lead you that way. He's going to put reminders in your life all about you. You ever notice when you're driving up and down the highway of life, every once in a while you see these little signs that says, Jesus loves you, or Jesus is coming. Somebody's painting them on a sign, or somebody's just got this little thing posted here. And you're driving up and down in your mind somewhere else. You're listening to some song. You know, me is probably the Beatles, and I'm just kind of singing along. And I see that sign. Now, I don't think heaven really painted that. But sure is a reminder, isn't it? It sure is a reminder. This world's passing away, and I need to be thinking about the Lord. And then what God will do is God will help you. God is a help for you. Psalms 46, verse 1 says, God is a pleasant, present help. And what it is to see that. What can I expect when I come to God? God wants you coming to him. And that's what I want you to see. God doesn't want you to stay away from him because you feel too bad or because you've done something wrong. God wants you to come to him. And this is what you can expect. And then finally, what can I expect about my future? Again, Lots of things about the future we don't know. But there's certain things the Bible teaches us. And one of the things it's going to teach us is if I'm going to walk with Jesus, the world is going to hate me. And the Bible says that over and over. Jesus said that. Jesus said they're going to hate you because they hate me. Jesus said they're going to love darkness rather than light. And we find in the book of 1 Peter, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you on which comes upon you that they're testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Whereas John would write, he says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. I can expect that because the world is going that way following the devil, and I'm going this way following Jesus. 
And so those are some things that's going to happen. And so the world isn't moving. It's staying with the devil. And so what we're seeing is if you're following God and the world's following the devil, we're getting farther and farther apart. There's less and less we have in common. There's less and less of the glitter of this world that appeals to us. Now, the modern church today has somehow tried to bring these two together. And the world doesn't move. So what the modern church has done is move the, move the church toward God. That's why when you look at some of these videos of some of these preachers today, it looks like they just cleaned out their garage. I mean, dude, put on some decent clothes. And then what do they do? They never talk about doctrine. They never talk about judgment. They never talk about hell. And what's interesting, the crowd on Friday night in the bar laughing and having a good time is the same crowd Sunday morning in church have laughing and having a good time. Nothing changes. And they don't see that disconnect. They don't see that I can just be like the world and somehow I can be with Jesus. What's missing is the righteousness and the godliness of God. What we need to realize is if I'm walking with Jesus, there's a whole bunch of people today that's just not going to like me. There's going to be a whole bunch of people that don't like this message. And that puts me at a dilemma. Either I've got to be quiet so I, so I get them to like me, or I say, you know what? I'm sorry, but I'm staying with Jesus. And that's something that you can expect. Secondly, if I think about the future then unless Jesus comes, I will die. Hebrews 9, 27 says, it's the point of man wants to die. This is Brian Johnson. He's described as a 46-year-old centimillionaire, tech entrepreneur. And he spent the last three years of his life in pursuit of a single goal, not to die. During that time, he spent more than $4 million developing a life extension system called the Blueprint, in which he outlines every decision involving his body to a team of doctors who use data to develop a strict health regimen to reduce Johnson calls biological age. The system includes downing 111 pills every day, wearing a baseball cap that shoots red lights into a scalp, collecting his own stool samples, Johnson thinks that any act that accelerates aging, including eating a cookie or getting less than eight hours sleep, is an act of violence. But Johnson's quest is not just staying rested or maintaining muscle tone. It's about turning his whole body over to an anti-aging algorithm. He believes death is optional. He plans never to die. Did you hear that? God says, unless Jesus comes, you will. Now, at the end of this article, there is a quotation from Dr. Everett Verdon, CEO of the Buck Institute for Research on Aging. He says, if you want immortality, you should go to church. He says, if I believed even a little bit that it was possible, I would be excited. It's a pipe dream, he says. And then he says, I'm just skeptical of this whole thing. I don't think it works. And we need to see that something's going to happen. And we don't like to talk about that subject. And we like to say, you know, may maybe if we don't talk about it, put it out of our minds, it won't happen. But we know as disciples of Jesus that death isn't the worst thing. 
For this audience, you've heard me say a zillion times that death is just a door. And you just walk through that door and everything we want, everything we believe in, everything we hope for is on the other side of there. To get in there, I've got to go through that door. That door is called death. Why are we so fixed on that door? I'm fixed on what's behind that door, and that's Jesus. And then I can expect one day to be raised. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He also said this to the, first, to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4. That we will be resurrected some one day. And this leads to the final aspect here. And that is, I will spend forever either with God or without God. Jesus said at the end of Matthew 25, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Expectations. You see, there should be no surprises for the child of God. There should be no disappointments. It's all exactly according to the plan of God as we see that. As we end this morning, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And so it's not a matter of will I expect these things or not? It's a matter of am I going to take hold of this and believe this? In Matthew chapter 7, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And your name cast out many demons, and your name performed many miracles. I think they're shocked. Here comes the last day, and they're standing before God, and they said, look what we have done. I raked my neighbor's yard. I've always paid my bills on time. I was nice at work, even brought cookies to somebody I didn't like. I need to be in heaven. Look what I have done. It goes so far as to say we have prophesied, we've cast out demons, we've done all these things. And the next verse says, the part I never knew you. I never knew you. I got an invitation one time in the mail to someone's party. I didn't know who the person was. I thought, are you just randomly going through the phone book hoping for gifts? I don't know what the deal was. And can you imagine spending a lifetime thinking you're following Jesus, praying to Jesus, doing what Jesus wants you to do, and then you stand before him and Jesus kind of going through the book saying, tell me again your name. I don't think I know you. I never knew you. And why? Because they didn't do the will of the Father. These people were shocked. For you, for me, we should never be shocked. We know what's coming. We know what to expect. And so knowing these things, I need to be walking with God, don't I? I need to be reading this book. I need to know what he wants me to do. I need to follow his will. I need to be a part of his family. Not just a cool church. Not the closest church to my house. Not a church I think, you know, is going to make me laugh and have a good time. We drink the Kool-Aid and I get a t-shirt. I need a church that's going to teach this the way he wrote this. That's what I need. I need somebody that's going to tell me the truth. You see, when you go to your dentist, you go see Bradley or John as a doctor, you don't want them just to say, man, you're doing great. And they got all these test results that said, man, he has cancer, he has heart disease. You're doing great. No, you want the doctor to be honest with you. You want a dentist to be honest with you. He opens up your mouth and he says, oh, my goodness, I'm going to pull out every single one of these things. But you're doing fine. Just go on your way. And is that what you want in the church? 
Is that what you want people to tell you? What we need is the truth. What to expect? What to expect when you open this? What to expect when you walk through these doors? What to expect when you look heavenward and talk to him? And finally, what to expect in your future? It's coming. And so when we know these things, I can know. And that's what this series has been all about. Hope this series has been helpful for you. Hope it's something you can share with other people. There's a lot of people today who just don't know these things. And they walk through life with their big fingers crossed and hoping that, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'll just take my chances. You don't need to take your chances. You can know. That's the point. You can know. If we can help you, we want to do that. If you want to spend some time with this book open, we're here to help you in any way we can. If you know enough, say, you know what? I've been coming here enough. I know. I just need to do it. I encourage you to come forward and be baptized. To get into God's family and do what God says. And if we can help you in any way, any way, won't you come? Let's stand and sing.